Well, hi, my name's Lachlan. I'm one of the pastors here at Auckland EV, and I hope you're surviving lockdown. Uh, I know some of you are thriving, loving this time of a bit of isolation and, and just being around the house, but for others, it is a, a tough time. Uh, one of the things I've noticed as we moved into lockdown once again, being a bit more housebound, I've realized that I can be quite easily satisfied. Uh, so, you, you know, give me a piece of toast with some butter for dinner, cup of tea, and I'll be a happy man. In some ways, being easily satisfied is a good thing. But there are other areas of life where being easily satisfied isn't necessarily good. Uh, so I, I've noticed that I'm a bit too easily satisfied with my current state of health and fitness. Uh, I'm not the fittest of people by any measure. Uh, and I see my neighbours looking out the window. I see them go for their regular walks day by day during lockdown. Once or twice a day they go and they're staying fit, they're staying healthy. And I think, look, good for you. That's wise. That's, that's smart. I'm glad you're doing that. But I'm just going to stay sitting here in my chair. Uh, I'm quite happy, uh, a bit too easily satisfied with my health level. Now, I have my moments of fitness ambition. I had a good six weeks of fitness classes throughout the start of winter. Every summer, I try to get back into running. But the reality is, I, I just don't care too much. <laughs> I'm satisfied with where I'm at. And maybe you resonate with me on that. Maybe you're a fitness junkie. I don't know. I'm sure you can think of some area of your life, though, where you're just a bit too easily satisfied. Well, today, as we continue in this book called Philippians, God wants to challenge us to make sure that we're not being too easily satisfied as Christians. Because as Christians, we have a goal that will never be satisfied, never be complete until Jesus returns. Here in Philippians chapter 3, we see that the Christian life is a continual pursuit of knowing Jesus and becoming like Him. That's the key message to learn today. The Christian life is a continual pursuit of knowing Jesus and becoming like Him. As we talk through this passage, we'll see three things. A glorious goal, a passionate pursuit, and an agonizing alternative. So get your Bible open. Let's start in verse 10, Philippians 3 verse 10. See with me this glorious goal. My goal, says Paul, is to know Him. He's talking about Jesus, picking that up from verse 9. My goal is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So Paul here is continuing a sentence from last week. In some English translations, it'll just flow on as one sentence. Last week, we saw that Paul had traded in everything to gain Christ. He had his religious achievements, his social standing, his national identity. But he came to the realization that all of that contributed nothing to his relationship with God. He'd been trying to work his way into God's good books. And then he realized that all of those works were earning him nothing because God had already given him everything in Jesus. And so now Paul has a new goal, to know Jesus. Paul wants to know this man this God who in utter humility became a man so that he could suffer and die in our place. Now, you're not picturing Paul like some fanboy waiting at the airport to meet Taylor Swift and get an autograph. No, no, Paul already knows Jesus. He doesn't want to know Jesus in the sense of meeting him for the first time. 
but he wants to know Jesus more. He wants to grow in that knowledge of Jesus. He, he sees in Jesus the fullness of all that is good. He knows Jesus as one who loves him and gave himself up for him. And, and so he wants that relationship to grow. Now, one way that will happen is as Paul experiences the resurrection power of Jesus while he experiences sufferings like Jesus did. Do you see how he said that in verse 10? Have a look at verse 10. I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. As Paul suffers, and remember, he's writing this letter from prison, chained up, unsure if he'll ever be released. But for Paul, that suffering is an opportunity to know Jesus more. Because Jesus suffered and Jesus endured. Jesus made it through death into glorious resurrection. And so as Paul suffers, he experiences fellowship with Jesus, communion with Jesus. In in prison, Paul gets a sense, just a glimpse of what it must have been like for Jesus to humble himself from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross. Paul joins in that fellowship of suffering. And more than just a commonality of experience, he, he also knows the presence of Jesus with him. As he sits there in prison, he's not alone. He gets the comforting presence of Jesus who has resurrection power to strengthen Paul for the sake of endurance. I think Paul puts this uh, in a clear way in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, uh, writing chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, Just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Have you known that experience yet? Christ's comforting presence with you, helping you to endure when you suffer for Him. Don't be afraid of suffering as a Christian. Don't fear the the mockery, the slander, the, the raised eyebrow, the exclusion. Because as you suffer those things, you will know Jesus more. You are sharing in, participating in His suffering. And the power of his resurrection is with you to sustain your faith. I want to know Jesus, says Paul. I want to become like Jesus. That's the second part of this glorious goal, becoming like Jesus. See, in verse 10, Paul wants to be conformed to Jesus' death. It's weird language, right? He wants to be like Jesus in his death. Now, earlier in the letter, Paul has shown us how Jesus exhibited complete trust and obedience in God the Father, all the way to the shameful cross. And so Paul is saying, I want to be like that. I want to trust and obey God all the way to the grave. And after that, Paul knows that he'll be like Jesus in rising from the dead, one way or another. I need to mention that uncertainty that Paul seems to have in verse 11 kind of sticks out and you go, what is that? It can sound like Paul's not sure whether he'll be raised to life or not. But it can't mean that. uh, Because Paul kind of gives his confidence elsewhere in this letter. I think instead it means that Paul is just not exactly sure what resurrection will look like. But but check out his confidence. Completely confident down in verse 20. There's no hesitation here. Philippians 3 verse 20, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. 
by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. That's the end point of Paul's goal. And he's confident that it will happen for him. His goal is growth ever more like Jesus all the way through until Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, our our partial knowledge of Jesus will become full. We'll get caught up into perfect fellowship, perfect communion with Christ. It'll be a time when our humble bodies, verse 21, our humble bodies, bodies that might have been humiliated in persecution and suffering. I mean, just think of the scars that Paul would have had on his body. Scars on his back from the times he was beaten. Scars from being, having big rocks thrown at him till they thought he was dead. Scars on his wrists and ankles from the prison chains that he's in at the moment. That humiliated body, like the humiliated body of Jesus crucified, will be transformed into a glorious body. Into the likeness of Jesus' glorious body, which shines like the sun in its brightness. That's a glorious goal, isn't it? A relationship with Jesus that will end in you becoming like him. Yes, in the glory of his physical body, but not only that, you'll be like Jesus in the glory of his pure, blameless character. You'll be like Jesus in that other person-centeredness that we were called to back in chapter 2. Have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, Paul said there, who in humility gave himself, considered others' interests more than his own. You'll be transformed to be like that in perfection. Like Jesus in his glorious humility and patience and justice and truthfulness. That's where we're headed. And so Paul says, my goal is to know Christ and to become like him. Is that your goal? Do you want to know Christ? Do you want to become like Christ? I don't know if you have a list of goals somewhere got a few different to-do lists around, a list of tasks. Maybe there's so many things on your list that this goal of the Christian life has been squeezed out, relegated to the bottom somewhere if it can fit in with your time. But maybe if you do have a list somewhere, can I encourage you, maybe write this as, as the top, uh, the top of the list, the chief goal that, that will shape and influence all the others. Just write there, I want to know Christ and become like him. That's the glorious goal of the Christian life and it leads Paul to a passionate pursuit. A passionate pursuit. See how Paul goes on in verse 12? Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what's behind, reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're not into fitness, you're a bit worried here because Paul's just loading up with athletic language. He's taking us to the Olympic athletics field, which would have been on around this time if it weren't for COVID. But I'm sure you've seen those Olympic races in the past. and We're at the athletic stadium and we've got athletes chasing hard for the finish line. Paul says for him, as he lives this Christian life, he's chasing hard for that finish line. He's, he's not looking back. He's not trying to see where other people are and compare himself to them. He's not looking back and going, oh, I've come so far. You know, I've, I've run 30 kilometers. Oh, how good is that? Yeah, he's looking ahead. He's looking at what's still to come. The last 12 kilometers to go. 
And as he looks at the road ahead, he's, he's straining, he's reaching forward. He's forgetting behind, reaching forward. The, the verb that he uses there, it kind of conjures up the image of the athlete who's stretching out for the photo finish, stretching every single muscle that they've got to get it across the line. And so Paul is stretching every spiritual muscle that he's got in pursuit of this goal. His eye is on the prize. And with laser focus, he's doing just one thing. Notice that. One thing I do is pursuing, chasing, striving. See, Paul looks at this glorious goal of knowing Jesus and being like Jesus. He, he looks at his current situation and he knows, I'm not there yet. There's still more of Jesus to know. There's infinite depths of his eternal being. Paul looks at Jesus, who was perfect, and looks at himself and he knows, I'm not perfect yet. And some of you will resonate with Paul at this point. You read this and you're like, oh, I feel you, Paul. There's so much still to come. And I'm with you. I'm chasing it. But for others, as we stop to think here, this passage challenges us. Because if we're honest, we, we've been sitting back. We've been satisfied with our relationship with Jesus. Perhaps you remember earlier days when you were more passionate more zealous, chasing hard after God. But as life's gone on, you've, you've settled. You've become like me when my neighbours walk past the window and I think, oh, good for you. Yeah, good for you, Paul. I'm glad you're chasing hard in this Christian life. I, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm satisfied. Well, Paul doesn't want you to settle. God doesn't want you to settle. Paul writes this section not just to talk about himself, but as an example for the Philippians of what they should be like too. Do you see that there in verse 15? Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. Think what way? The same way as Paul, in hot pursuit of knowing Christ. That's the mindset of the mature Christian. The mature Christian is the one who says with Paul, Oh, I'm not there yet. So I want to keep growing. Now let me speak for myself here. I am not what I should be. I'm not what I can be. I'm not what I one day will be when I see the Lord. And that's true for you as well. You are not what you should be. You're not what you can be. You're not what you one day will be when you see the Lord. If you've reached a point where you're content in your spiritual condition, then you've reached a dangerous place. It's a place where you'll find that you're insensitive to sin. You start defending yourself when you ought to be admitting your weaknesses. And then pursuing Christ, knowing more of his forgiveness and more of his power to put sin to death. Now, I would hope that none of us are so delusional as to think that we're perfect. We don't tend to go that far. But perhaps you've gotten to a point where you're as perfect as you care to be. You're as perfect as you want to be. But it would be a mistake to think that you're as perfect as God cares for you to be. God's goal for you is to bring you through to actual perfection. We are still, as Christians, all of us, we're still works in progress. 
And Paul's already covered this in this letter. Back in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That, that's God who began a good work in you. God is growing us, changing us, and he's going to keep doing that until Jesus returns. It came up again in chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So if you put, in your, if you put your trust in Jesus, then God has started a process in you that he will finish. He's transforming your will so that your desires match his desires, that you love what he loves, that you hate what he hates. He's adopted you into his family and now he's disciplining you, perfecting you, restoring in you the image of God that was defaced when we sinned. God is making you to be like Christ. And that's why Paul has this goal in his life. That's why he's chasing hard after it, because he knows that this is what God wants for him too. His goal is God's goal. Have another look at Philippians 3 verse 12. I make every effort to take hold of it, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Remember, Jesus came in and disruptively changed Paul's course of life. And so Paul goes, well, I'm going to chase the thing that Christ wanted for me. I'm going to pursue the goal that God had for me when he saved me. God's purpose for saving you was not just a free ticket out of your punishment into heaven. God wanted to renovate you to transform you, to mold you, to shape you, to be like Christ. And so Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to become like Christ. And so each of us need to reflect, is that your attitude as you tune in today? Are you striving, pursuing, chasing after, wanting more of Christ and His likeness in your life? If you are, then great, keep going. You're on the right track. God is working in you, renewing you, transforming you, revealing himself to you. So keep pursuing Christ, yeah? All the way to the day of death or the day of Christ, whichever one comes first. But it might be that as you listen today, you know that you've settled. You've become too easily satisfied. Maybe you've fallen into the trap of looking at the things behind, the things in your past. You say to yourself, Oh, look, I had a few good years when I was back in my 20s. Yeah, I, I led that great ministry. I saw a couple of people come to Christ. Yeah, that was in the past. I just kind of slowed down a bit now. I'm happy. I'm happy with where I'm at. I've had enough of Christ, enough of the Bible. I don't think there's really anything more for me to know or to do. If you're saying those things in your heart, then Paul is saying, no, don't think that way. Forget the things that are behind. Like the runner, you can't just sit down and start resting. The race is not over. There's more to go. Press on to what lies ahead. And it made me think about Paul himself. I mean, if anyone could have rested on what they'd already done in life, Paul's a pretty good candidate. By this point, as he writes Philippians, he has met the risen Jesus. He's been commissioned by Jesus to, to be Jesus' ambassador throughout the Mediterranean. As he's done that, he's planted a dozen churches, maybe more. He's introduced hundreds of people to Jesus. He's written the book of Galatians, the books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Corinthians. He's written that great volume, the book of Romans, 
So much great, deep, amazing, wonderful theology in that book. Now, Paul's had visionary experiences. He's performed miracles by Jesus' power. He's been sustained through suffering. I mean, Paul knows Christ, doesn't he? And yet he says, I'm not there yet. After all of that, I, I don't know what you've done in your life, but I don't know that your list would, would stack up to what Paul has done at this point. And for Paul to say, I'm not there yet, I'm passionately pursuing more. Oh, let all of us who are mature think that same way. Have this mindset. Your best days as a Christian are still to come. Don't rest on the past. Don't rest on the race you've already run. Keep running. Keep growing. One of the ways I try to live this out each year, at the turn of the year, I kind of sit back and take stock of my life. I reflect on what I know of Jesus. And I try to set just one goal for growth, one area of life where I want to be more like Jesus. And so this year, the the goal is to put pride to death in my life. Kind of reflected on last year and saw a few different areas where I think pride was a contributing factor and seeing it more and more in my heart. And so I've set that as the goal and I've pursued that this year. I shared the goal with friends, with my connect group, with the staff team at church so that they could join in with me and pray for me and and spur me on in that pursuit. I've been praying for God to show me where I'm thinking and acting out of pride so that I can see it more and more and and put it to death. And God's answered that prayer. I've seen it. It's been hard. It kind of hurts when you see your sin, but this is the pursuit that we're on, to grow, to become more like Christ who had no ounce of pride in him, but utter humility. And so in this pursuit this year, I've seen that I need to keep knowing Christ more in his humility, but also in his sovereignty, also in his patient grace in the lives of others, because those things will help me to stay humble and to not be proud. That's just one thing that I try to do each year. And I can set my goals that God might have different plans for me. God might grow me in all sorts of different ways. But just that process of reflecting and setting something It reminds me year after year and then day after day that I haven't made it yet, that there's still more to grow. And so it gives me that desire day by day to keep growing. Uh, I don't watch many musicals, but I remember seeing the musical Godspell when I was uh, younger, I think early teens. Uh, One of the songs has stayed with me, uh, perhaps because we had the songbook as well and I used to play it on the piano. But one of the songs, it's adapted from a 13th century prayer. And I think it's a helpful prayer in light of this passage. It goes, day by day, day by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things I pray. To see you more clearly. To love you more dearly. To follow you more nearly. Day by day. That's a Great prayer that I think Paul would resonate with in this passage. You might have some big defining moments of growth in your Christian life, but for the most part, growth comes in those increments. Just day by day, pursuing Christ to know Him and become like Him. The Christian life is a continual pursuit of knowing Jesus and becoming like Him. We've seen the glorious goal. We're in passionate pursuit of that goal. Thirdly, then, there's the agonizing alternative. Read it with me in verse 17. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. 
Now, why? Why should we pay attention to Paul's example of pursuing the knowledge of Christ? Well, verse 18, for, he's giving us the reason, for I've often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They're focused on earthly things. And that can describe our city as much as it did Philippi. Many in Auckland live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Rather than praise the God who would die for them, they, they mock him. They ridicule him or they just ignore him. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Food, sex, impulses, instincts, desires, people are ruled by these things. And they boast about things that they're doing that are contrary to the design of God. They're glorying in what is shameful. Or they're focused on earthly things. The glitz, the glamour, the career, the grades, the family, the car, all the things that fill our social media feeds and our newspaper headlines, things that we can think about and focus upon, the things that so many in our city are living for. But Paul says, if that's the extent of your horizon, if you can't see beyond the earthly things, then your end is destruction. That's what makes this agonizing. What moves Paul to to tears and continues to move Christians to tears. Christ has offered so much. He's offered himself on the cross and people reject him in favor of the things of the world that will pass away. If you've tuned in today and you've not turned to Jesus to ask for forgiveness, to ask him to forgive your sin, your rebellion against him, to you've not turned to him recognizing that he's the rightful ruler over your life then hear this heartbreaking but honest description of where you're at god says you're an enemy of the cross of christ and your destiny is that you're heading towards destruction it makes me sad to think that that's the case for you I don't want that to be the case for you. And it doesn't have to be the case for you. Just like Christ took hold of Paul and and changed his life, he can do that for you today. He's offering you, verse 20, a a heavenly citizenship, a passport for a new world, a, a perfect world where Jesus will rule with truth and justice and goodness. That's all on offer for you in Jesus. Not based on your performance, but based on Jesus' performance. We saw that last week in the first nine verses of this chapter. God is offering you heavenly citizenship through Christ. Please accept that offer today. You can have peace with God through Jesus if you would just come and receive. This passage, though, it is written to Christians. And I think it's even more agonizing when someone who was once walking as a Christian, but then they they settled. They stopped pursuing Christ. They got carried along with the world until now they outright deny Christ. That's devastating to see, isn't it? I think of uni friends who have walked that path, running the Christian conference at uni and now denying Christ. I think that's what Paul had in mind as he writes with tears to these Philippians. Because hear the way he finishes this whole section in chapter 4 verse 1. He says, So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, 
my joy and my crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Paul is affectionate for this church. You can't help but hear that. And his concern is that they stand firm. That they persevere in faith in Jesus. They don't throw away that position and become one of these enemies of the cross of Christ. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of a society that's pursuing goals so different to the Christian goal of knowing Jesus, we need to stand firm. So I'm sure you know that this is true, but Christian growth, you don't drift into it. You don't get there by not putting in any effort. But you can so easily drift with society, yeah? with the priorities of friends who would much rather that you play sport with them or go to brunch with them than that you go to church. And we drift. We drift with the goals of friends who are are progressing in their careers, amassing their wealth, experiencing the world. We see that and we, if we're not careful, we, we drift. We drift with the current of society around us, focusing on earthly things. And so Paul says, don't drift. Stand firm. And notice he says, in this manner, stand firm. In this manner that he's just been describing, stand firm by pursuing passionately after Christ. You don't stand firm by standing still. You stand firm by growing, by continually, day by day, pushing against the current of the world, fighting against the sinfulness that still resides in your heart, striving to know Jesus and become like him. A glorious goal. A passionate pursuit and an agonizing alternative. And so Paul points the Philippians to his example of life as something that they should imitate. And I want to call us as a church, as we hear this word today, let's be a church full of people who are worth imitating. Because we haven't settled down. We haven't grown satisfied with our current spiritual health. Let's be like that. Let's be a church of people who are growing day by day. Because the Christian life is a continual pursuit of knowing Jesus and becoming like him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings and to be conformed to your death. Thank you that by your death, you've given us this heavenly citizenship. We know that our position in heaven is not based on our performance and so it's It's secure. But Father, as we look ahead to that heavenly future, we can see the work that you've begun in us, that that work that you will complete at the day of Jesus' return. And so we ask that you would grow us each and every day, more and more like your son Jesus. For your glory and for our joy. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.